Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, breaking news early this morning. It's all over the front page of ESPN and pretty much any sports outlet. So let's get to it. We're going to talk about the Jalen Carter news. Uh, then we're going to revisit some sound from John and Pete from the Combine and talk a little bit of kind of Combine draft prospect stuff. Uh, cramming it all in here with just kind of the latest we're learning out of Indy this morning. So we're going to start with this story. Jalen Carter, who is the top NFL draft prospect, has been charged uh, with reckless driving and racing. This is in connection with a, j- a crash on January 15 that killed a teammate and a recruiting staff member. So the initial story was that this 2021 Ford Expedition, who was driven by the recruiting staffer, 24-year-old Chandler LaCroix, crashed on January 15th at a high rate of speed. They were believed to be driving uh, at 140 four miles per hour shortly before the crash. Uh, The crash killed um, a uh, Georgia teammate as well as LaCroix. And uh, what's come out since then is that Jalen Carter, who returned to the scene, may have been lying to police about his involvement. Um, There is uh, a a report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that he was present at the scene of the crash and later provided shifting accounts of the wreck to police. First, that he just heard it uh, and showed up. And second, that he may have been involved in racing. I will add that um, the report also states that they didn't detect uh, that he was drunk or on any kind of substances or anything. So he is presumably sober, but may or may not have been racing. Jalen Carter posted um, to his own Instagram account saying, This morning I received a telephone call from the Athens, Georgia Police Department informing me that two misdemeanor warrants have been issued against me for reckless driving and racing. Numerous media reports have also circulated this morning containing inaccurate information concerning the tragic events. Um, And then he says he will, um, he's confident that uh, when all the facts are known, he will be fully exonerated of any criminal wrongdoing. That's There's other parts of the statement. I'm summarizing it quickly. So, Bump, we can get to some of our takes here first. Um, what was your initial reaction to the news? I mean, this can be, um, you know, looking at him as a, as a person, as a player. It could be looking at the draft. It could be looking at it from a Seattle point of view. I mean, what did you initially think of? First, I'm thinking... This young man's been living with this for a while. Yeah. A couple months now, yeah, maybe. January 15. And it's probably affected his sleep. It's affected his preparation because he knows what happened and his involvement in it. And then I start to think of him as a young adult, as a dang near a teenager, early 20s. Is that all All the dudes that I went to college with and grow with, we all made dumb decisions growing up. We've even drove our cars pretty fast. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not making excuses, but... I'm just taking people back to reality because the first thing the first thing you want to do is judge. He shouldn't be doing that. He gets all this on the line, and you're probably right. I'm just saying this is a young man, and he feels horrible about this. I'm sure he feels horrible about this. It was his teammate, uh, a recruiting assistant involved in this situation, and then I just start to think of what this does to his future. And we mm-hmm. touched about that, uh, touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, like you mentioned, it's not like he was doing drugs or anything like that. He didn't abuse a a, a person or a woman. Yeah. And the NFL tends to look at things a bit differently. In this situation, it sounds like he's going to be charged with a misdemeanor. Uh, we've seen guys do worse and get penalized not very much and still go on to live beautiful lives and have 
the careers that they have. So um, I just feel bad for everyone involved, man, because no one wanted this to happen. Mm-hmm. They're celebrating their back-to-back national championships, and um, there's families <clears throat> who lost loved ones. He lost a teammate. No one's walking away from this situation um, feeling like they're unscathed, like they're not affected by this. So the first place I always go is as a human being, and then I look at how this is going to affect his future, and honestly, I don't think it's going to affect it that much. Like I said earlier, if he does slide, we're not going to know because he's not. I don't think he's going to slide to the teens or even double digits or maybe not even past five or six. Mm-hmm. If he does go to five, you know what you're doing. Unfortunately, yeah. But um, this, uh, it's it's just unfortunate. I just felt bad for everyone involved initially. Yeah, I I agree, Bump. I think that that's a really empathetic and important way to look at it, and I'm glad that you said that because I think that what we immediately do is. Shame on him. That's disgusting. Disgusting behavior. Someone texted in early. He killed two people. What he did was stupid. Is he the only person ever to do something Heck stupid? No. Somebody Absolutely do that tonight. not. Absolutely not. And the details that we have right now are that uh, there is evidence that the car that crashed was driving at a very high rate of speed. There is evidence that he left the lot along with that car. Uh, there is also a police statement where first he 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 left the scene. He came back two hours later. He told police, hey, I heard the crash from my apartment. Then he said, OK, I was following behind them. Right. And presumably saw the crash and then came back. Um, if he lied to police, you know, were you scared? Were you nervous about what would happen? Were you horrified because you just saw this horrible accident and thought, what do I do? What do I do? Um, I mean, I don't know if this makes me sound like a horrible person, but I don't look at this the same as like uh, murdering someone and shooting someone or, uh, you know, uh, sexually assaulting uh, someone that you've locked in a bathroom, Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I think that there are things that we see that are clearly horrific and horrible. And then there are things we see that are clearly irresponsible and Mm -hmm. horrible. And I do think that there is a moral difference between them. What this is, is... A person doing a dumb thing that led to the death, the tragic death of two people and then not handling it like a responsible adult. Like that's what I see from this. Uh, Is this someone who can never be a responsible adult? I don't think so. I think that this is something that is like a horrible thing to do that you can also atone for or try to do right by, you know, whatever. I think that so much of what I'm seeing are quick ways to villainize people Instead of recognizing like – and you know why I think that happens, Bump, is because I think that there's this history that people have of like letting athletes and prominent people get away with things. And so people are trying to overcorrect and be like, shame on him. He's horrible. He shouldn't even be drafted. And instead we just step back and think like, okay, well, what happened? What are the facts? Yeah, man. And like I said, unfortunate for everybody. Um, This kid has to feel horrible about this. And he's going to have to deal – that's the thing too is – He's dealing with all this. Mm-hmm. You don't think he sees people talking about him. Um, he's going to have to sit down with these GMs and these coaches and explain himself and explain to them why he still should be drafted, why he is a responsible human being. And um, someone's going to roll the dice on him because end of the day, he's a great football player. <laughs> That's what he wants to do in life. And that will allow him to, you know what that will do? That will provide resources for him um, automatically that a lot of people aren't going to have. The NFL yeah. does a great job. When I was with the Seahawks, man, there's resources for everything. You're dealing with drugs, alcohol, um, relationships, mental illness. And this was back in 2008, 9, 10, where um, 
and even now we're more aware and conscious of that stuff. So if you feel some ill way about him, you're allowed to feel that. But, man, take it back to when you were in your 20s, man. If I could, man, the fact that I'm sitting here with y'all today sometimes amazes mm-hmm. me, all the dumb decisions I made out there. So, um, you know, it, it's all bad, man. But he'll get through this. And like I said, I don't think he's going to slide too much. And if he does, then one that tells me he didn't do a great job of convincing these GMs of how remorseful he is, how he's going to learn from that's this. And um, that that's his, his goal now is just to get through this as a person and then convey to these GMs that it was just a dumb decision. That's the thing. And now that that information's out there, I wonder if this is the kind of information that someone like Todd McShay had. You know what I mean? Like that this is something that was kind of floating around, known locally mm-hmm. or known by scouts or known by top folks in the draft that, that hadn't been released yet. The police reports from January 15th. Like this is something that probably the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who released the story today, has been researching for a while now. So I'm sure this has been floating around. Um, I just want to do a quick clarification. I saw someone ask if he was driving the car. No, I just want to make sure I didn't make that confusing. He was driving his own vehicle uh, the vehicle in which the two men, two young men, uh, that vehicle crashed and those two young men died was a separate vehicle. The allegations are that they were racing right? and that Jalen Carter left and came back mm-hmm. and then lied to police about whether or not he'd been racing. Um, so, again, it's a really horrible thing. And you're right. Really, what he needs to focus on now that this news is out is just showing that, like, I understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand what happened. Everyone make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. But I want to make it clear that I know the mistake that I made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As far as whether or not the second question I had, whether or not, you know, we think this impacts the draft. I don't see him sliding. I'm sorry. I think that the NFL has kind of like a weird moral compass sometimes and views like smoking weed sometimes is more horrific than like an actual charged crime anymore. (laughs) <laughs> no, may, not anymore, but I'm it saying, like, to. I don't see a Laramie Tunsil situation where all of a sudden Jalen Carter is falling to, yeah. you know, the late teens or the end of the first round. Like, I I still see Jalen Carter going in the top three, if not certainly the top five. Yeah. 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 yeah, he ain't going nowhere. I know. Anyways, that is the Jalen Carter news. Uh, if you guys have any additional questions about this stuff, let me know. But we're going to move on to some John and Pete sound uh, now that we have this audio. So we're going to talk about um, specifically the quarterback situation. Bump, here we go. Let's start with John Schneider talking about Geno talks. Michael, I would say it's, a, it's always a process. Close. I would say positive. Uh, you know, all these negotiations, some go a little bit faster than others. Usually when you t- you're talking about larger numbers, they take a little bit more time. Uh, obviously much more complex than um, different sports uh, with guaranteed contracts. So there's a lot more that goes into these contracts. So again, Geno talks are positive, but when you're dealing with large numbers, things take a little longer. Yeah, they take longer because you're comparing. You are filling out your relationships and also you're looking at the landscape of the league and saying, okay, who's being released? Is there someone that we could pick up? What are these Young quarterbacks looking like in the draft. What about our draft picks? What's the communication with with uh, the teams that are behind us looking to move up? There are just so many things. It's not just so simple. It's not black and white. There's hella gray mm-hmm. in this whole situation. Hella man. extremely gray. Hella extremely gray in this situation. So you got to take your time with it. You don't want to rush anything. You want to make sure that you're making the best decision for your franchise, what you think is the best decision, not what we think, not what the public thinks, what you think is the best decision for your franchise. And then on the other end, the QB has to go out there and market himself. Like maybe someone's going to give me 35, 36. Maybe I want to go over there and see mm-hmm. what's going on. 
is the best thing for the Seahawks team to take a quarterback at number five. It's not something they're ruling out, according to Pete Carroll, even if they bring Geno back. We are totally connected to the quarterbacks that are coming out. Um, this is a really huge opportunity for us. Uh, it's a rare opportunity. We, you know, we've been drafting in the low 20s for such a long time, you just don't get the chance of these guys. So we're deeply involved with all that. Um, I can't tell if this is just gamesmanship, but Bump, I cannot rule out the possibility that it is not. I am aware of how things work this time of the year. You're just trying to make this pick as valuable as it possibly can be in the eyes of other teams. I want you to think that any player you want, I might take. That's what I want you to think about this pick so that I can make sure to get a trade if it's possible. However... I also believe John Schneider when he was asked about, hey, what do you think about taking quarterback, a great quarterback? And he said, they don't grow on trees. Like, there might be someone they fall in love with. Yeah, there's probably somebody that they really like. But there are also situations where they can get more for that five pick. And we all know how Schneider likes to work, man. He likes to multiply his picks. So what they're doing is they're just letting the league know, hey, text me. You like this spot? Text me because mm-hmm. we are interested in a quarterback, even if they really aren't. But I think there are a couple of guys that they like. Text me. Let's uh, let's let's work a deal out. Anything is on the table. You come at me with your offers. When you're sitting sitting at the number one through number five spot, you kind of sit back and wait and see out what people are going to do. Who's going to offer me what? Is mm-hmm. that worth the deal? And then as the draft gets going, now you got all these offers on the table, and then you can react. So now you're in the driver's seat. You're in a position of leverage. So that's all they're doing. They're setting themselves up to do whatever they want to do. Number five, they've never had this pick before. So what they are going to do is go out there and just make a quick decision and not communicate and not explore options. You're at that five spot. It's all about leverage, and they have it, so they're keeping all possibilities open. Can I ask you a loaded question? Why not? If uh, Jalen Carter falls to five, would you be okay taking Jalen Carter there? Or or a, I'll include it with, like, you can also talk about if you want to take a quarterback. I know you don't want Levis, but there are some guys mm-hmm. you'd consider. But what if Jalen Carter's there? Taking him. I'm taking him. You take Jalen Carter, man. If you feel, and here's the thing, with Pete Carroll and John Schneider, I would say they are pretty good at judging character. Do they mess up at times? Sure. Yes, we've seen examples of that. I'm not saying that they are perfect, but for the most part, they get guys in that building that that work with their vibe. If they can sit down with Jalen Carter and see him in a Seahawks uniform, see him in the locker room, and imagine him being a... Uh, a, a productive human being on and off the field, you got to take that kid. All right. This hour of Bump and Stacey is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to some X's and O's talk with Four Down Territory. This, this is Four Down Territory. Going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, 49ers GM John Lynch said they may bring in a veteran quarterback as Brock Purdy and Trey Lance both recover from season-ending injuries. Who would be the best fit for San Francisco? Man, you got to bring in a veteran because you don't know what's going to happen with Purdy and you're still trying to experience what's going on with Trey Lance. First, I want to talk about what type of offense the uh, San Francisco 49ers have. Right, They throw the ball 51.3% of the time. So you don't need a guy who's going to throw the ball 35, 40, 50 times a game. Mm-hmm. That's not what you need. Also, most quarterbacks in the San Francisco or quarter, excuse me, San Francisco 49ers system, let's go with the football around 2.3 seconds. That's like the sixth fastest in the NFL. Interesting. So when I see that or when I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, this is a quarterback who has great pre-snap reads. He knows what he's looking at. He's decisive when he makes the play. All right, they've been pressured 16% of the time, which is extremely low. Why are they only pressured 16% of the time? Because the way this offense works, there's a deep cross, there's shallow crosses. If you want to blitz and pressure them, because they get the ball out two point in 2.3 
three seconds, they're going to dump that football. There's number space and opportunity mm-hmm. for Debo, for Ben and Ayu, and for George Kittle. So that is the the number side of things. I hear those numbers and I go, Marcus Mariota. Give it to Marcus Mariota. What? When he was over there with the Atlanta Falcons, right, he had 90 RPO attempts. That's second in the NFL. So that tells me he can diagnose. You're not going to run RPOs unless your quarterback knows what he's looking at. All right? He had 26 scrambles. That's 11th in the NFL, 7.4 yards per scramble. He can get loose. 485 yards rushing. All right, that's top, what, five or six when it comes to quarterbacks. Now, the reason I say Marcus Mariota is because he's a veteran and you bring bring him there to compete. As soon as Purdy or Trey Lance is healthy, you're pushing him to the side. But because of what he did in Atlanta with the RPOs, with the rollouts, with the scrambling, he's a good little Band-Aid for right now. I'm not saying he's going to be your guy for the future, and they don't think that neither. They're just bringing him in to compete and to hold it down right now. I look at Marcus Mariota, I go, what, he's 28, 29 years old. He's been in the RPO system. Go ahead and ride with him. I think what Bump is also saying is if you see them sign Marcus Mariota and you think, why, Bump says, I got some numbers for you. Second down. Speaking of quarterbacks, Jordan Love's chances of finally taking over for the Packers is looking more like a reality every day. Why should the Packers give Jordan Love a chance to shine and move on from Aaron Rodgers? Um, now I'm just, I'm done with Aaron Rodgers. Why? I'm not done with him. <laughs> There's I mean, lots of reasons, but you're, why you're now? Gonna, you're going to be good wherever you go. It's just that he's just stringing you along. You know, he's that dime piece that I pulled when I was in high school, and she just gave me the number just to do it. I'm oh, calling wow. her. Is it a fake and number? And answer me. No, you know, she answered a couple of times, but she was like, you know, I'm, I'm not she in her league yet. She gave you the drop off. I wasn't, you know her name? Her name was Thea. I remember her. I wasn't in, I wasn't in her league yet. What's Thea doing now? I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. All right, that's what he's doing. He's stringing them along. And I'm like, look, you've had this kid over here since 2020. He was a 26 pick. In three years, he's played 10 games. He started one. He has 56 attempts, one touchdown, one interception. You have to play him to know what you really have. I don't think they really know what they have over him. You know what the situation reminds me of? Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. What did Aaron do? He sat for three years, and he learned. Eventually, you got to put him in there and say, sink or swim. And with the way Aaron Rodgers is right now mentally, I just go, man, it's time to move on from him. Now, the Packers, if they cut Aaron Rodgers, they save $31 million to the cap. All right, the Packers have around $5 million in cap. You do the math. $36 million to play with. Also, what they have is the 15th pick and the 45th overall pick. I've seen that 15th pick uh, mock to go to Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame. The 45th pick, I've seen a receiver out of LSU over there. So what you have now is you have cap space, and you can still get some young talent. You can low-key rebuild with the running back that you already signed in Aaron Jones. I'm looking at this situation. I'm saying just go ahead and let Aaron Rodgers go. With him, you're not going to win a Super Bowl. The cap hit is too much. See what this young man can do in Jordan Love. See what you can before you have to decide if you re-sign him or not. This is last year in his contract. You don't know what you got. You don't know if you want to re-sign him. I think it's right now is the time just to cut the cord and say Aaron, I appreciate your service. Go do your thing. I've taken far too long trying to think of a dig uh, and a pun with Thea, and all I can think of is theatrics. It's not enough. I'll, I'll come back to it. I'm tabling it for right now. Third down. All right. Well, saying the Seahawks should address linebacker in the draft is one thing. More complicated is talking about how they should address linebacker in the draft. In the draft. So, Bump, that is my third down question for you. How should they address it? Address it. I think that you have to get a linebacker during the offseason, a veteran. You go find you one. But then I think you have to draft 
a linebacker. Now, I would take a linebacker around pick 37. I'd also take one at 52. It's up to you. The three guys that I'm looking at, Henry Tooto out of Alabama. All right, this guy's projected rounds one through two. He's 6'2", 230. This dude has great instincts. He sniffs out screens. We always what? get hit with screens. What's that? He can a sniff screen? out the screen. He's a natural tackler. He's got these long arms. He's played fast. 94 tackles in 2021, 111 in 2022. The next guy I like, I like Trent Simpson out of Clemson, 6'3", 240. The thing about him is he's like a linebacker slash safety hybrid. And I picture him walking into the box and still allowing these dudes to play fast when they want to go those two high safeties. You walk him down into the box, you keep him in the box, or you bring down Jamal, bring in Ryan Hill, boom, you still got your two high look with a safety slash linebacker look. This guy, again, he's fast. He's very responsible out there. The last one I like is Deion Henley, my guy from WSU. Right, He's a bit undersized, but again, I look at this Seahawks defense, and they want to play fast. If you want to play fast, you need a Mike linebacker who's physical, make all the tackles and stuff, but you need guys around him who are fast and can get to the ball. I like those three right there, man. I like Henry. I like Trenton. I like Deion. Pick one of those dudes. Get you a veteran in off the, uh, the offseason. Is it good or bad news for Jamal, or does it make Jamal a useless or even better weapon if you get someone like Trenton? Oh, man, it helps you out. Yeah. It helps you out. Speed in the box. Speed and violence in the box. All right, and I think that Jamal can do it. I think any one of these guys can do it. All right, fourth down. Bump, you're close to the source. So what comments have you heard from coaches and GMs that make it abundantly clear we're in the offseason? You ain't even got to be close to the source, man. <laughs> you just hear what they're saying. You know this is the offseason. Pete Carroll, we're not ruling out the possibilities of a QB. My question, are you for real or are you bluffing? <laughs> All right, then you got McDaniels. We want a young QB for a long time. Are you drafting? Are you moving up in the draft? What are you doing? Then you got Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh said, we want Trubisky for a long time. What are you doing? Why do you want Trubisky <laughs> no, you for don't. a long time? No, you got Kenny Pickett over there. All this, the head coach and the GM talk is just throwing stuff out there to see who's going to catch it. And I'm preparing for the show last night. I'm thinking, this is definitely pre-draft, off-season talk. Coaches and GMs are going to say whatever Anything makes that situation look interesting. Anything is possible, man. It's just going to be like, so, um, hey, John, would you consider trading up to the number one overall pick to take Bryce Young? Hey, maybe. You know, I wouldn't rule anything out. Like, hey, you know what? <laughs> we could take a kicker there. We love kickers. You know what I mean? Like, it's just you are trying to make everything seem like a possibility, and I love it. You see the text lines? Uh, see you later. See you, la- oh, see you later. That's see you, so Thea. better than mine. Fire. See you later, Thea. See you later. <laughs> it's Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. You know, Bump, um, we are no stranger to the history of occasionally, rarely, but occasionally a player saying something about a coach or a coordinator, but it's rare. However, in a since-deleted tweet, we saw it again from a Super Bowl team. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy, Brought to you by 1-800-DUI-OA. It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy. Reading you the top stories you're going to see on your own timeline. We've got some stuff on the Sod Father saga. A little bit of Pac-12 stuff. I'm going to start, though, uh, with some smack talk that was tweeted and deleted. Uh, y'all remember the Super Bowl, the one that just happened? Well, the Philadelphia Eagles, losers of that Super Bowl, though obviously a wonderful team, have a ton of change this offseason. Bump, as you know, they've lost both coordinators. Shane Steichen, their offensive coordinator, has left, as has Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon, defensive coordinator of the Eagles, 
Cardinals, is now head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. From the combine, obviously, uh, the majority of the league's head coaches and uh, GMs for that matter, but majority of the league's head coaches spoke with reporters. And Jonathan Gannon was asked, hey, what went wrong in the second half in the Super Bowl? And he had a longer response. But one of the things he said was, it's tough to swallow when you look back at it. It's just such a big stage and we didn't get it done. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a corner for the Eagles, tweeted, well, retweeted that and said, you ain't put us in the position to make the plays, shrugging emoji, then deleted it. And uh, I guess what I have to say is, not a great defensive performance. How much of it is Jonathan Gannon? And also, C.J., what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing, CJ? Slow motion. No. Gannon. Don't tweet. Don't tweet and delete. Gannon should take responsibility for sure because he's the coach. Sure. Right. You stand in front of your team. You stand in front of the media. You say, look, that one's on me. And maybe every call that he made was not perfect. Maybe he was shook a little bit in his play call. And who knows the details and the reality about this. Mm-hmm. But as a football player, you can still make plays. The ball's still in the air. You can still go get it. That's my question. There are guys running with the rock. You can still make the tackle. So for CJ, it just looks like he's putting all the ownership on the coach, which the coach deserves a big portion of that. But as a football player, as a guy who's on the field actually making the plays, I got to look at myself, too, and be like, maybe there are a couple plays out of it. I guarantee you CJ Garner-Johnson did not grade out 100% during the Super Bowl. Sure. Guaranteed. A thousand percent. So even if he feels that way, it's just a bad look. So you're a free agent right now. Right, you are marketing yourself to these teams across the NFL. You think a a DC is going to be eager to get you, knowing that all right, if I make one bad call, he's going to throw me under the bus. Now CJ's a good ball player, and you deal with some things with good ball players, but it's just a bad look for him. It's a really bad look. I mean, it was a bad look for the defense as a whole. If we were in Philadelphia sports radio, we'd probably still be talking about that second half collapse. Right. The Eagles allowed nearly forty points. They allowed thirty eight points total, obviously in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs scored on every single second half possession, which had three touchdowns, a field goal. Uh, they averaged six point four yards per play, three hundred and forty total yards. Um, this one is from USA Today. It's their analysis of it. The Chiefs made a crucial adjustment in the fourth quarter utilizing pre-snap motion to diagnose the Eagles' defensive alignment, which you've also talked about. Um, the Chiefs lined up two receivers on the same side of the formation and went and sent the outside receiver in motion. Those were those two touchdowns to uh, uh, Kadarius, Tony, and Sky Moore. Um, I know that you can look at it and say, well, this was Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy out-scheming uh, J- uh, Jonathan Gannon. You could also look at it and say, well, this is Patrick Mahomes and that offense outplaying that defense, right? Like, that's part of it, too. I give Andy most of that because you look at those touchdowns, Mm -hmm. those receivers were butt naked. They're wide open. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the reason why you put that motion, and I haven't seen that. I don't want to say I haven't seen that motion at all from the Chiefs, but I I didn't see it with that frequency. Yeah. So he went to the well and went back again and went back again and then added something to that thing. So I look at that and I go, look. Andy Reid outcoached Gannon. Andy Reid's been to two Super Bowls. He's been in the league for 20-plus years. Gannon is a young coordinator. He's going to learn from this. That Super Bowl hopefully will make Gannon a better play caller. Uh, Well, tweets deleted, so we'll see if anything comes from that, but that's the latest you need to know. Next up here, let's go to the Pac-12. In a radio interview, Baylor Athletic Director Mac Rhodes says the Big 12 is prepared to add if the Pac-12 doesn't receive a favorable media rights deal. So I do want to preface this by saying uh, that we might be torn on it. I think it's a little inappropriate, but some people might be saying that the Pac-12 should be speaking like this. Here's the cut from Mac Rhodes. I'm certainly not rooting for the demise of any particular conference, but I'm also 
looking out for what's, what's best for Baylor. And what's best for Baylor is a really, really strong Big 12 and one that secures its, its future, not just over the, the next six years or from 25 to 31, but, but beyond that. And so there's a short game, but there's also a long game to this. It's look, depending upon what happens with the, with the Pac 12, there may be, you know, movement. If whatever media deal that they're, they're able to strike isn't, isn't satisfactory. And so we've got to be prepared for that. And, uh, and I think we are prepared. We, for that, if that, that is uh, to happen. Too long, didn't read. Mac basically says, look, the Big 12 needs to be ready to pick up some of these Pac-12 schools if that media rights deal doesn't get done. John Wilner, who we've had on the show before, covers the Pac-12, says, an athletic director talks on the record about the possible demise of another conference. What a time to be alive. Bump, what do you think? You know what this reminds me of? There's a, there's a bar by Nelly. I'm not going to say the first part because, you know, it's the FCC that regulates this stuff. <laughs> uh, he says something and he goes, I'm just kidding like Jason. <laughs> And he goes, unless you're going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's saying, like, look, I don't want the Pac-12 to to demise and them to fall. But if they do, <laughs> if they do, do unless you're going to do it, look, I'll be right here for you because like it's going to help my conference, my university. Everyone has self-interest in this thing. And you have to be, you have to realize that these conferences across the country who look at UW, who look at Oregon, who look at Stanford, they're licking their chops right now. Say, no, I I never want a conference to fail. But if they do, we will take those three right now. That's just business. Next story here in the timeline. Ex-NFL groundskeeper George Toma, a.k.a. the Saad father, is defending his good name. He says the Super Bowl field was overwatered. He would just like to make it clear, hey, this wasn't on me and my sod. I know my sod game. It's just that uh, apparently Arizona sod did not. Sod game on point. Baby. Yeah, sod game on point, on fleek, as the kids used to say. Now they probably say something else that I need to ask my Jesse <laughs> Kings and Queens about. Sod father, you're what if, but, what, but, what, what, what if it's but what if it's not him? Because Bump looked at another field that he'd made for something else, and it was completely fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, my man Thomas said he's pointing a finger. I've been in the game way too long. That's exactly what he You're did. You're taking the blame for this. <laughs> he said, they, they overwatered it. As I told Chris them what Carter to do. Chris Carter once said, you got to have a fall guy. They, I sent them home. even extends to lawn care. I sent them home with instructions, and, you know, it's not my fault that it turned out like that. Have That's you, not my fault. Have you seen the meme where the, the older fella's driving the car, <laughs> and he falls asleep? And this pastor wakes up, and the old guy's like, God dang it, I told him to move. The dude's like, man, let's pull over. So so what we're hearing is, and what he's saying is, look, man, they watered it way too much, and they they brought it inside so it still stayed moist, and then they covered it with the tarp. I'm going to go out and say, Toma is probably... He hasn't dealt with that type of situation for the majority of his career, right? We're just now getting to a day and age where you're moving a field outside and shifting it back inside. And you know what? At 90-something years old, he probably said, man, you got it. I trust you. I've trained mm-hmm. you well enough to handle this. No. But it didn't go down like that. He's pointing the finger. He said, keep my name out of your mouth. Man, he said, I'm done. He said, I'm done with the NFL. I'm done. <laughs> Y'all going to do me like this? I'm done. <laughs> Next up here, this one breaking. <laughs> Washington Post is reporting that Grizzlies star John Morant has been accused in police reports of punching a 17-year-old boy and pointing a gun at him. Now, uh, this story is just breaking, so I have not warned you about it. Man. I have not given you a heads up. It just came out uh, less than a half hour ago. Uh, again, this one out of the Washington Post. Um, the allegations were previously unknown, clearly. Uh, it was a... Um, 
following allegations that he threatened a mall security director. And then four days after that, uh, a, a teenager told them that uh, Morant punched him repeatedly. I Excuse, hope a teenager told true. police. I hope this ain't true. And if it Me is too. true, John Morant became a thug when he got to the NBA. Well, just shame on you, man. Clarence's 17. parents have a real good marriage. You know that? No, yeah, that's over here. You don't get that. Eight mile. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Oh, I wanted to get to Vanessa Bryant's story. Can I just throw this in here? Yeah. Just the last 30 seconds. Vanessa Bryant, like, I, it's not a fun story, but honestly, good for her. Congratulations to Vanessa Bryant. There was a co, uh, a co plaintiff as well that was the husband of one of the people who were on the fatal crash that uh, took the lives of several people, including Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna. Vanessa Bryant settled her lawsuit against the LA Police Department for a reported $28.8 million, this stemming from um, Allegations that were, I think, found to be right that um, uh, emergency responders were sharing pictures of the uh, crime scene of the bodies with other people. Disgraceful. Yeah. Get your money. Get your money, Vanessa. Good for you. Uh, All right. Uh, Coming up at noon, we've got a bit of we're doing kind of our Mariners roundtable thing again. Brandon Gustafson is going to join us. Let's see if he brings his notebook. What's going to be on the notebook? We'll find out before then. We've got new sound from Scott Service. He's talking about whether or not teams should be fearing this Mariners roster. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. I'm calling an audible. Um, I had a, another open segment, uh, and so I'm going to move service sound and couple it with some other Mariners news uh, coming up at 1245, and then we're going to go Mariners at noon with Brandon. Uh, so doubling up Mariners, and then I want to get to this little news story here for uh, for a couple minutes because I just think it's really interesting. Uh, this was just posted a couple minutes ago, so I want to say it's breaking news, but it's not like crazy urgent news. It's just really fascinating. The NFLPA, which is the players union for the NFL, uh, surveyed 1,300 players to basically get an A through F grade on a couple different categories in the NFL. The categories were treatment of families, nutrition, weight room, strength staff, training room, training staff, and then travel. Um, And then, you know, all 32 teams were graded out so that uh, free agents who were choosing their locations could look at this list and say, okay, well, you know, here's how 1,300 players graded this team, right? They gave them an A for travel or an F for training room. Like, I want to be able to have a little bit of insight. Let's start with where Seattle ranks. Seattle actually graded out pretty fine. I mean, uh, Seattle ended up with their worst grade for travel. Bump, what are you going to do? It's Seattle. You're the most geographically isolated sports city. Yeah, let me say that um, my experience is traveling with the Hawks was awesome. I mean, we all, we got into this big old Hawaiian Airlines jet. Everybody had their own row. Um, the flight uh, attendants were very attentive. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my buddies, um, uh, Coach Pratt, I coached with him. His wife is actually was one of the guys on the um, one of the flight attendants. It was a, a very. Oh my god! Wait, did he meet her there? No. Oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> that I, was really cute. I should have said yes. Just off your face alone, <laughs> oh you were ready god, to dive so into that. But no, my experiences were good, man. I get because we were. I mean, we are isolated. That trip to New York was brutal. I think that's where it's coming yeah. from. Is less about like, hey, they aren't giving us the right amenities, and more about like, if you are particularly from the Northeast, 
you're like, I'm sorry, what? Every flight everywhere is four hours? And not everywhere. You go to San Fran. Well, not West everywhere. Coast trips are good. West Coast trips are fine, but I think most of the West Coast teams are going to end up getting low grades. Um, their best grades were with the um, weight room strength staff, and then they also got uh, great grades for training room training staff. Nutrition, treatment of families uh, were also good. They got a B-plus in, in both nutrition and treatment of families, which you'd want it to be an A-plus, but there are a lot of teams that did not get an A-plus. Let me start by telling you the best graded team, because I want to know if you're surprised. The Dallas Cowboys graded out really highly in almost every category. Treatment of families, A+. Nutrition, A. Weight room, A+. Strength, I'm not surprised that the weight and training room are amazing. Strength staff, A+. Training staff, A-. Their worst grade was also travel, because they kind of got a little bit of that West Coast thing, obviously in the South, but Southeast to Texas and then up into the West Coast are just going to have the most travel miles. That doesn't surprise me at all. Have you ever been in Jerry World? No, but I know that it's basically like if I were to think of my dream mall and turn it into it's, a it's, stadium. It's something special. We pulled up to it. We went there in 2019, I think, when the Hawks played the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. Um, you go to Jerry World, anything you want is there. There's even a club in that thing. There's mm-hmm. bars, there's restaurants. It's beautiful. So I would assume that their training facilities is right up to par there. And when you have all the money that Jerry has, you take care of your players, man. That's why you say what you want about the Dallas Cowboys, the success that they haven't had on the football field when you mm-hmm. get into the playoffs. You don't hear players talking bad about the Dallas Cowboys. You don't. You do not. Um, now, this one actually surprised me. It's one thing to be one of the most storied or famous franchises and get all these good grades. One of the best graded teams, the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans, treatment of families, nutrition, training room, a B, an A for weight room, strength staff, training staff, travel. I mean, they graded out with nothing lower than a B plus. Doesn't surprise me at all either. Really? I, I'm, I'm telling you. Now, there are some regions areas in texas that i would not visit okay (laughs) for reasons you would probably understand but i've been to dallas i've been to houston texas is great it's it's a nice place hey i mean i think for your buck over there there's a reason that james harden would love to go back to houston is all i'm saying there's some um some activities you can partake in do houston's a fun town that are conducive to uh team morale let's get to (laughs) some of the worst grades um now treatment of families Four teams got an F. The Washington Commanders. Anyone surprised? Not surprised Raise your at hand all. if you're surprised. Nobody. The Jacksonville Jags. Not surprised either. Arizona Cardinals. I'm surprised just because of when you think of Arizona, the state of Arizona. Yeah. You think of at least I do. I think of beautiful communities. I think. I of, think of golf carts. Think of golf carts. Think of golf courses. And I think. Chilies. I think of. Um, I just think of very clean area that is um, brand new and people are building and, and it's well, just no. very progressive over there is what I would <laughs> well, think. Well, it's not. It got it an F in uh, four different categories. Arizona Cardinals got an F in treatment of families, nutrition, weight room, training room. Also getting an F in treatment of families, the Bengals. Don't surprise me at, what? at all. The Bengals? I was so surprised. I mean, I know ownership isn't like the best ever, but Man. I was surprised by that. No, nah, I'm not surprised at all. I think of the Bengals, I just think of just that dirty high school football team you used to play. They used to cheat <laughs> and talk trash and do illegal things. That's what I think when I think of the Bengals. How about this one? One of the worst nutrition grades. Now, the Arizona Cardinals graded out as probably the worst team. The only thing that they did well in was travel was a B plus. Training staff and strength and strength staff were fine, but they got an F in every other category. The Bengals also graded out really poorly. 
The Saints graded out well, except that they got an F minus in nutrition. <laughs> and I want to know where some of these nutrition grades come from, because there are teams like the Kansas City Chiefs that had bad grades there. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, the Bengals. Like, how do you get an F minus in nutrition? What does it mean? Hey, that that Louisiana food, <clears throat> it, it gets you. And this is what I think when I think of F, because I assume that the Seahawks had an A, mm-hmm. and they were very organized. They would, you could pre-order meals. They'd have it waiting for you. They like make you custom smoothies. Yeah, it's the the Seahawks are doing it right. So what I'm thinking about with the, with New Orleans Saints, just the organization and the, the options are probably aren't great. Guys have to have their own personal nutritionist mm-hmm. bring them food every single day probably. Uh, someone said who was the worst graded team? Uh, the Arizona Cardinals were the worst graded team. Washington Commanders are not far behind them and the Bengals didn't. Uh, they were more middle of the road but they got an F- minus in a couple categories but Arizona Cardinals across the board the worst graded Arizona, team. Arizona step it up. I like that state. You I do? like that state. Yeah. I mean there's nothing wrong with Arizona Curtis. No like- disrespect but I'm not shocked that the Cardinals... Well, did not grade out exceptionally well. The Arizona Cardinals don't represent the entire state. That's especially see, Tucson, Curtis. I like actually disagree with away. you. I think the Arizona Cardinals represent the entirety of Arizona, <laughs> including every single person in Arizona. I just think that this list almost corresponds with like which teams are good and which teams are not. Like the teams that are grading highest in all these categories are tend to be teams that are at least competitive. Well, whereas teams well, that are the very bo- I know Houston is up there. Well, hang on, hang on. You say that, but the Kansas City Chiefs got a D plus in nutrition, a D plus, a D minus, and an F in training room, training staff, and travel. But they got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's true. Kansas City. <laughs> barbecue. Too much barbecue, man. Kansas City. You know how they do down there. Think about it. Kansas City barbecue, New Orleans. All the seafood, the gumbo, and all that good stuff. There's a there's a correlation. Curtis, you do make a good point in the the teams that we have questions about, like the Commanders, that are pretty clearly bad from the it top confirms down. Confirms everything. Confirms everything yeah. you were wondering about them. That's exactly right. Anyways, um, very very interesting insight there from uh, over uh, over a thousand, well over a thousand NFL players who graded all these teams. Uh, all right, Brandon Gustafson is going to join us. Is Brandon able to join us in studio in that's, the studio? That's the rumor. That's the rumor. All right, Brandon going to pop in here with his notebook, telling us everything we need to know. About about the Mariners in spring training. Don't go anywhere.